The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Right now, I want you to take a little listen to this. I would like you to answer those questions, Taoiseach, because those are the important matters that arise when we discover that far from learning any lessons, here we go again. This is about big books. This is about big funds muscling in with the assistance of your government into the property market. And meanwhile, our citizens, our families, our communities are left with no chance. Don't you dare talk to me about false narratives or claim that you understand the crisis. You clearly don't. While you're there scratching your head, I've told you two things you can do that will work. Yeah, the unmistakable voice of the president of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou Macdonald. She is the subject of a new book, Mary Lou Macdonald, A Republican Riddle, written by Shane Ross, former Minister for Transport, columnist with the Sunday Independent, and with me here in studio. Shane, you're very welcome. How are you? Thank you very much indeed. I'm pretty good. Thank you very much indeed. I I thought the clip was very entertaining. Why did you decide to write a book about Mary Lou Macdonald? I suppose she's 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 the most important politician in Ireland now at the moment. She's poised to be the next Taoiseach. The bookies would say she's favourite. She's um, very very powerful both north and south. She's got more more votes. Her party got more votes north and south. And she's full of mystery. There's a lot of unanswered questions about Mary Lou Macdonald. And I found myself asking, Hey, where did she come from? What are her parents do? Uh, what are, what are, what are siblings? What are her siblings at? How did she how did she come to get into Sinn Fein having been in Finnafall? There are a lot of unanswered questions, and you find she's been in opposition all her life, but she's never really answered. The, the, the questions that matter for a lot of politicians. So I thought it would be fascinating to discover the mysteries. And that's why it's called the riddle, uh, a riddle of Mary, Mary Lou, and to, and to put him out in the public arena. Why do you think those mysteries exist? Why do we seem to know more about other politicians? I don't know quite, but she's always been rather protective about her early life. And I, I don't think she's got anything to hide really politically like that. But she's had a very interesting early life. And she's had a, an, she had an early life which was pretty well devoid of politics. And that's very, very unusual. You know, a lot of Irish politicians are obviously born into it. She wasn't born into it. Her parents were both kind of nationalists or Fianna Fáil, But she wasn't a member of a party. She, she, didn't, uh, she, didn't, join, she didn't join any party or t- take part in any political activity uh, until she was about 28, 29, mm. she, that age. And that was very strange for someone who is so committed at this stage. She does say that the hunger strikes in 1981 had a, a profound effect on her and they were a Damascus moment. But they, we didn't see any sign of that again at all, anywhere, until she was about 28. So from that period, from 1981, where she has this Damascene conversion, she uh, doesn't acknowledge it. It doesn't manifest itself in any behavioural change. She does not join Sinn Féin, in other words. No, absolutely nothing there. Now, that's that's difficult to explain because it... It's it's it. This appears in the pages of Unpublished a lot now, and 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 since she joined, but before that, nothing. I mean, she went to. She was a great debater. You heard that. You heard that clip just now. She's fantastic on her feet. She was a great debater at school. Uh, the teachers loved her for that, and she was a great. She was a great debater now. But between that and there was no sign of nationalism, she didn't join a party. She went to Trinity. She didn't join a party. Do you suspect, strange. having carried out all of this research yeah. into her, that that is her origin myth? The same way that all civilizations have it. Well, I don't know really whether it is or not. I mean, she, she, she was 
she came, you know, she started in Dublin, in, in South Dublin suburb, a prosperous suburb. They weren't a very well-off family. No, they but. weren't. And this is actually something that I found interesting in the book, uh, because w- w- the few things people do know, the the, the little headlines that might say, uh, Mary Lou, uh, from a leafy South Dublin suburb, yeah. Fianna Fáil becomes Sinn Féin, and then kind of fast-tracked to the yeah. top. Yeah. She might have been from a leafy suburb. They had a tough at times growing up. They had a very tough time, because, and she talks about this when she when she's asked questions but not volunteered she she was privately educated which obviously takes money some money uh but she lived in a house which wasn't owned by themselves it was a very very large house and that made people think that she they were owners of it It wasn't her parents separated when the, when, when she was 10 which was obviously very traumatic for her she doesn't talk about uh, those circumstances and i didn't want to i didn't want to actually talk about that as as well but she had a difficult time and it's in her favor there's there's a lot in the book about her father because her father's a very colourful person indeed, to say, to say the very least, who got mm-hmm. into a lot of scrapes. Now, she doesn't talk about him very much at all. She doesn't really like talking about him, but she'll talk about her mother because she's very, very fond of, of her as well. But she had a tough upbringing that way. But it's, it's somehow in her favour. People say it's a bit negative and it's going into her privacy. She, she came out of that very strong. She's a very, very strong person, despite the fact that she had a difficult background. Why do you suspect she doesn't talk about her father? Is it that experience of the marriage breakdown? Yeah, I think I think... I think you're on a raw nerve when you're going around there. Uh, very raw nerve indeed. Um, he he got himself into quite a lot of trouble. You know, the the book tells several stories about him being in trouble. The Guardi were involved in in a lot of in a, in a lot of them, and uh, and I suspect that's something she doesn't really want you know to surface very much. But she's not responsible for that. No, she's not. And she also strikes me as someone who who I, I kind of accuse her maybe of having a, a, a cooking up an origin myth. She yeah. she strikes me as someone who genuinely was heavily influenced by the women in her life more so than the men. Yeah, well, there are kind of three men in her life, I suppose. This this there's a father, there's Jerry Adams and her husband. Um, and they're pretty powerful people, all of them, in various different ways. But the women in her life were very interesting. Her mother was very keen on education, very herself, you know, quite careful. I think they were very careful with money, uh, but certainly the, the major influence on her, on her education. They had a, you know, in their in their house, they had separate areas for them all, all four siblings to work, and that was very important. And then she came into into contact with a, a really fascinating woman called Nora Komarski, who. She met after she was married or during the time she was about to be married uh, in the strawberry beds. And she was a huge Finnefall uh, matriarch. And she was a lovely woman. I met her lots of times. Very outspoken. She was the woman who I met. I'd called her to the house at 10.30 in the morning. She said, would you like a large whiskey? <laughs> I didn't take it. But it was, it was she was smashing. Yeah, a small she, one. You showed great restraint there, Shane. <laughs> I sure have done. Uh, but she was great. But she influenced Mary Lou a lot in the into Finnefall. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. She brought her into Finnefall. And then she actually encouraged her, according to herself, to join Sinn Féin because Mary Lou was saying, this party isn't Republican enough for, Republican enough for me. And she was very influenced by her in that. And then she was influenced by her sister, her younger sister, very much a very, very good friend. She always quotes her as the good friend. So, yeah, there's a lot of matriarchs in her life. Um, so you kind of, you, you touch on it there. I mean, the, the political motivations of Mary Lou, because again, people speculate, is she a true believer, you know, mm. a sneaking regard for the, 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 the provost? Uh, is she just simply a social justice warrior? Is, mm. that, is that her motivation? Is she somebody who joined Sinn Féin because there didn't seem to be a seat in the doll with Fianna Fáil. That's the more cynical <laughs> yeah, view. Yeah. I think, I think you know, okay, there are two sides of that. There's the side which is very obvious and open and loud where she was, where, where she was screaming Fianna Fáil wasn't Republican enough. 
And she's consistent, to be fair to her. On that, she's saying, no, I'm going to go off and join somewhere where really is Republican. Now, the other side of that is people say she actually never settled down at anything. Uh, at that age, she was doing various jobs. And she was doing it for a few months, maybe a year, maximum two. She saw Sinn Féin. She saw she wasn't getting anywhere in Fianna Fáil. Sinn Féin was a great opportunity. Adams was looking for someone just like her, so different from himself, but who would appeal to the Southern electorate. It was a great career move, and she did it like that. People can make up their minds. I'm not going to tell what conclusions I came to the book here. People make up their minds, which is the, which is the real Mary Lou. Mm. But some people say it's a bit of both. She did. She is a United Islander. The kind of social justice thing, she doesn't play that an awful lot, actually. But the United Island thing is, cons- is consistent. Sinn Féin obviously did offer a bigger opening for her because she was given incredible promotion and preferment by, by Adams himself, who spotted her and said, I want, her, I want her in here. Why? What was the appeal? The appeal was very simple. Uh, the Good Friday Agreement was, was, was a couple of years old. Uh, they wanted to get rid of, Sinn Féin wanted to get rid of this image of them being gunmen from the north. Uh, they wanted to get votes in the South, where they were very weak at that stage, and they wanted a new image. Mary Lou was absolute manna from heaven for, from the, for that. Here was this woman who wasn't touched by by the war, by the IRA war, wasn't t- never pulled a trigger, never did anything wrong, middle class, middle class and well-off who would appeal to a completely different section of the electorate. And she did. They put her up for Europe within a couple of years of joining the party and she got elected for Europe for Dublin as Sinn Féin candidate. It was an extraordinary achievement. And then they tried to change the, the party on the back of her. And, and uh, another interesting aspect of the book though is despite the fact that she represented this new face of Sinn Féin for the party, she still had to deal and has always had to deal with the legacies of the past and will continue to have to deal with them. Yep. You talk about this in the book and you give a, a great example of one of her first public engagements, I think, mm. isn't it? Where at Sean Russell Park, uh, a kind of a, a, a something that her and senior members of Sinn Féin would run a million miles away from today. Correct. But only a few years ago, uh, this is what they were doing. They were sailing much closer to the wind. Oh, yeah. This was 2004 where she was asked to go to the memorial, you're right, of, of uh, Sean Russell Memorial in St Anne's Park in Fairview. And he was a pretty horrific character, certainly in traditional terms. He was, you know, a, pro, a pro-Nazi Republican who had taken a pro-Nazi view during the war and had, had flirted with Hitler to get, you know, guns in. He died in a U-boat. He died in a U-boat, yeah, that's right. He died of an illness. In a, in a, Unless in a you're U-boat. attacking the U-boat, you don't want to be someone who dies in no, a U-boat. it must have been a hor- horrible experience. But he wasn't someone who most people would remember with any affection no. or regard. And yet the Republican, the extreme Republicans did. And she was asked, go and stand there and listen to Brian Keenan, who was a pretty hardline Republican, speaking in memorial, in memory of that. And it was thought to be... And she had to speak afterwards. Now, she didn't speak about it very much. She spoke about the elections. But she had to stand and listen and not say anything at all. And a lot of people say that was the test. That was the iron test because it was unacceptable. It was so difficult for anybody to identify with that. If she goes and does that, she's okay. She's one of us. She's she's joined us and she's bought into the legacy. And they were right because Mm. she bought in later on to all the sort of real problems of Jerry Adams, the McConville murder gene for McConville, Maria Cahill, situation like that, which must have been difficult for her, but she took the party line, whatever the cost to her, personally and politically. Uh, I don't want to give away too many of those kind of anecdotes and stories that are in the book, because it's a a great read uh, for people, but one aspect of it that has got a bit of attention, and the Irish Independent have been writing about it, is uh, the house, the family home, uh, and the extension of it. So just tell us a little bit about the house first, before I ask. The house is a bungalow, which they bought for 517,000 in Cabra. 
uh, when she was looking for a house in the constituency. Uh, it was a pretty drab, drab house, but a good site. And uh, when they came in, then they spent an enormous amount of money on it. Uh, I got estimates for the, some. The planning permissions are available publicly, available yeah. to, to find them. Uh, and they turned it into the, the, the um, they turned it into what I call a mansion. Maybe it's a bit tabloid to call it a mansion, but it was a pretty grand house. And there were articles written about it before and calling it, you know, house quit fit for a queen. No, and but the estimates that I got on it was that on the basis of the planning permission and the basis of what it looks like now, they would have spent five hundred thousand on it. The question she should ask about this is where she got the money from the house. Well, answer is where she got the money from the house. It's it's an enormous sum of money. A lot of politicians in Ireland have been... Actually, the, the house has been their downfall because they put too much money in the house and it's been very difficult to find out where it came from. I think she should explain that. Uh, she has never explained it. She's never actually been asked to explain it very much, which is extraordinary mm. as well. Do you suspect that's because people feel you're, they're kind of venturing into private family matters possibly there? Yeah, you're... Put, you're, you're Entering into private finances, not fr- private, not private family matters, and well, yeah, if it's family money, well, that's what you need to ascertain. You know, as politicians, they have to declare every financial interest over ten thousand euro. That's fair enough because they should. They might be conflicted. In this case, it's a lot. Mu- it's a lot more than that. It's a huge amount of money has gone into a house. Mm. And what you, I mean, people are going to ask this question anyway, and they need satisfaction on, on it. They're going to say, where did, it come, where did it come from? All she needs to do is say, okay, I've got a legacy of half a million or 300,000 or whatever it is, and I made up the other, the other way. That's fine. But I think there's an obligation to do that. You know, we've seen, we've seen too much, and I'm not suggesting she did do anything untoward. I'm just saying, I know there is kind of curiosity about this and a lot of unease. There are other politicians who got into such trouble about their houses. I think it's it's important. But curiosity, just because there's curiosity, doesn't mean we have to uh, uh, satisfy it. There but can I be think such thing as lurid curiosity. Well, I think if there are very large sums involved, I'm, you're not saying I want to know exactly what. But if you say, if you say, okay, look, I got a legacy from my grandfather, of, which is a lot of money from half a million, or I made it, or I won the lotto, or something. But otherwise, there's there's going to be a constant sense of unease that this money has come from somewhere else. And it's substantial. It's really a lot. That's why we're asked to declare our interests. Um, it is. It's an unofficial biography in the sense yeah. that uh, Mary Lou MacDonald uh, didn't uh, sit down and talk to you. Uh, what response did you get from her and from Sinn Féin? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I know her well and, and, and like her a lot. And uh, and I thought I thought she would talk to me, quite honestly. I, I didn't ask her to make it an authorised biography. I didn't want to do that. It would have compromised me. So I met her and I said, look, I'm going to do this. And she was she was kind of a little bit taken aback. And she kind of said, this is a bit premature and am I worth it? And all this kind of modesty that we affect to have as politicians. <laughs> time. Uh, and, but she said, look, I'll go away and I'll let you know in a week. And she wanted to talk to a few people and, and think about it. And uh, she came back in a week and said, no, I... I I can't cooperate with... I only wanted to actually really talk to her family because I wanted good stories about when she was young. Yeah. Uh, and, and I didn't want her to talk, introduce me to anyone else. I make my own judgment about that. She said, no, I, I, I can't do it, but I won't stand in your way. It was a kind of bit of both. And, and I, because she, she knew I wasn't well disposed, I badly disposed to her at all. In fact, mm. people said, you know, it was going to be too positive. Everybody said it was because I get on with her so well and served with her so well on the Public Accounts Committee. She served so well. And anyway, I, so... Anyway, the, the, the shutters came, came down uh, at that stage. And then I find when I looked to talk to the kind of hard men in the IRA, they wouldn't talk to me uh, at all, one by one by one, having said they would. And I felt a sense of control from the top 
coming down saying, don't talk to, don't, don't cooperate with this. I'm not glad because it set me on a, on a, on a course of having to find things out a different way, which is, mm. which is old fashioned journalism is going banging on doors and saying, do you know so and so what happened? And a lot of people who shouldn't have talked to me have talked to me and have told me extraordinary stories uh, as a result. Otherwise, it might have gone a little more, a little too positive for, for people's. Well, those those extraordinary stories are well documented in the book. Mary Lou MacDonald, A Republican Riddle, written by one Shane Ross. Shane, pleasure. God, thank you for having me on. Yeah, That's thank really you. Thanks good. a million uh, for coming to us here in studio. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.